This morning I have Ali Safi, who is a corresponding author on an Editor's Choice manuscript. Ali is Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery and in Neurology at the University of Texas Science Center Health Center at San Antonio, and he is currently the director of their neurointensive care unit. Ali, thank you for uh, agreeing to talk to me this morning. The article that Ali had written uh, is entitled Incidents and Morbidity of Cranial Cervical Arterial Dissections in Atraumatic Subarachnoid Hemorrhage Patients Who Underwent Aneurysmal Repair. Ali, again, thanks for agreeing to talk to me this morning. Can you tell me a little bit about the design of your study and maybe summarize the results for me? Sure. Let me give a brief background of what happened that I decided to do this study. So one day I was running in ICU and then I found a patient with subarachnoid hemorrhage, which was coiled. And at the same time, the patient had carotid dissection. Then it came to my mind, okay, what could be the etiology of this? because I was told that it was two different incidental findings at that time. But I was thinking, okay, what about if it, it might be because of the procedure of the cord? Because how possible is that somebody going to develop uh, like a, an arismal rapture and at the same time a dissection of carotid? It may be coincident, but, you know, I, I was interested to do further study to see, okay, what could be the reason? And what's the incidence? Because uh, at that time, I went to literature. I couldn't find actually any even case report or something uh, like the coincidence of this. What is the incidental report of this? So coincidentally, at the same time, I was working with a database, which is healthcare cost and utilization project. And I decided to use this database. And I tell you what we did. So this database um, pretty much a database of all 50 states of United States, and we have data since 1998, and all the states, they, they report um, at the end of each year their discharge diagnosis to, to the center, and that center every year publish all of this data, which includes the ICD-9 codes for any diagnosis that you imagine, and all of the demographic data of these patients. So this database has different parts. The part that I look into for this study was NIS, which is Nationwide Inpatient Sample. So Nationwide Inpatient Sample is pretty much a random 20% homogenized data from all United States. So in other words, at the end of each year, 20% randomized from teaching institutions and non-teaching institutions. They report it to the center. And that center released the information. So in other words, to give you a heads up, the numbers that we reported and we have in this paper is one-fifth or 20% of the, the real numbers. So if you look into the person, the person is the same, but if you look into the absolute numbers that we reported for subarachnoid or dissection, these are one-fifth of the real number because NIS is 20% randomized sample. So we looked into pretty much the data that we had at that time that I did the paper. The last year of data was 2011. So we looked into from 1998 at the beginning till 2011. But I noticed there is no dissection before 2003. So I decided to look into 
2003 to 2011, which we had the data. We did the multivariate analysis and we divided the cohorts to coil versus clip. And then we look into multiple things to see, first of all, what's the incidence? And next, what's the impact to develop dissection? And what's the mortality and length of stay as an outcome? So what did you find as far as results? So the interesting thing, pretty much I would say the masterpiece of this work is it was very obviously and significantly the dissection was more common in endovascular group versus the, the clip group. It was persistently higher in endovascular for the whole cohort, and it was increasing during the, the years. So I would say for all the years that we had the data, the dissection was more common in endovascular. And we did not have any dissection before the endovascular treatment comes, which actually we didn't report in this paper. But as I said, like before 2003, there was no dissection, which could be different reasons for that. It could be maybe it was not reported, but there is not even one dissection. So it's either not reported or it was not diagnosed. Oh, that's interesting. So there was significantly higher rates of dissection in the endovascular group. Dissections are probably related to the diagnostic or interventional catheter procedure. Do you think that some of the decreased in dissection in the surgical group may have to do with replacement of CTA, the replacement of the DSA with CTA for surgical planning? Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So CTA is less invasive. You do not manipulate the arteries. Uh, versus angiogram. So the problem is that we had actually the data of the angiogram because our angiogram has an ICD-9 code, but the CT angio does not have a code. So I wish we had a code to compare these two because I have the data for angiogram but not for CTA. Right. So even though the actual percentage of dissection was fairly low in the study, about 0.72%, as you mentioned, found that it was increasing over the time interval uh, that you looked at. Was it increasing or did you look at whether it was increasing for both endovascular or and surgical cohorts? Yes, actually, we had also that data, but because of some limitation, we didn't put it in the paper, but maybe we make a second paper. Uh, so during the, the cohort, the incidence of dissection in the clip is pretty much very consistent and low. And after 2007, it starts to come close to the zero versus uh, the dissection in the coil group from beginning of the study is persistently high and upgoing. And after 2007, very acutely go higher. Do you have a theory as to why you know, the endovascular dissection rate is increasing over time? Uh, I have two, Todd. One is more detection and more reporting. Yeah, because even if you have more dissections, if you're increasing the denominator by doing more endovascular, you, you would think that that alone shouldn't really affect the percentage that much. So it needs actually some experience to know these new symptoms are because of dissection, not subarachnoid hemorrhage. Right. It was interesting that the rate of the procedures, rate of endovascular coil treatment uh, increased from 
2003 to 2008, but seemed to decrease after 2008. Do you have a theory of why that was? I run the data again because this database, every year they report a new year. And right now, so this paper we had up to 2011. Right now we have the data for 2012 also. So it's not part of this paper, but when I run the data again up to 2012 now, which we have a new data, again, the incidence of endovascular is coming up and it reaches to the incidence of clipping. So in other words, what you can get from this is that the incidence of clip is pretty much persistently is coming down. And the incidence of coal is very fluctuating. It's going up and down. So I think we are not still in a position to say it has a trend toward up or down. So for the individual patient, did you find any effect of the dissection as far as morbidity or mortality or length of stay? So interestingly, having dissection in any of this group did not increase the mortality, but it increased the length of stay. And the length of stay was more prominent in the endovascular group. Thought about why that might be so? Yes. So let me give you an example. I think in our institution, if the patient comes with subarachnoid hemorrhage and they are thinking, okay, should we take the patient for uh, endovascular or clipping, if both of them are pretty much equal as far as like, you know, the location of the aneurysm and the condition of the patient. Usually if the patient is sicker medically, like the patient has cardiovascular issues or kidney issues, they prefer to go toward the endovascular versus when the patient is very happy and they, they think, okay, they go with clip. So my thought is that this is a hypothesis. It, it may be right or not, but I think based on what we see in the result that the, in the vascular, they have more length of stay if they get dissection. Probably they have more medical issues to begin with, and then they, they require more medical care if dissection happens for them. So it's really comorbidity factors that play into it. So you mentioned a little bit about the database that you use are there limitations to this sort of observational study? And do you think maybe a better way to do this, for example, having a national registry? Yeah, so the limitation of this study, first of all, as you mentioned, it's a retrospective. So it's not, the design is not as good as a prospective study. The other limitation might be there are some of the endovascular that may be coded differently. For example, somebody go toward the bioactive code, they're going to go with a different code. But the codes that we use are the codes that have used in different studies for multiple purposes. But I, I want to just say there are some limited, like a small portion of the, the population that may code it differently with other codes for endovascular. And the other limitation, we didn't have access, okay, which patient had angiogram versus CT angio to see if our hypothesis of iatrogenic or endovascular manipulation caused this dissection, we can prove that with that. And as far as the registry, I really agree with you. I think, you know, we really need to have a registry of subarachnoid hemorrhage uh, with detail of this. And, you know, the researchers can use all this. Thanks again for uh, agreeing to speak with me this morning. And congratulations on this uh, excellent work that you've done. And we look forward to things from you in the future. Thank you so much.